0: Hello and welcome to the Remedy House podcast, where I talk about new knowledge, resources and books for anyone curious about mental health. My name is Renee Watson, and I'm so grateful to be chatting with you. If you're new here, welcome. If you're not new, thank you so much for your support. Any links or resources mentioned in this podcast will be linked under the podcast tab on my website at remedy.house. episode, I'm going to take you through one of my personal pillars of practice that I try to incorporate into my life often, curiosity. So curiosity as a daily practice can change your orientation to the world and revolutionize the way you participate in relationships. Um, It can also enhance your neurological growth. In my personal favorite, it can help you create more loving and more caring spaces for the people around you. So if you've listened to my first podcast on metacognition um, and the predictive brain, you will love what we're talking about today. Because as we talk about curiosity, you will see that the dopamine cycle in the brain and the novelty of the world and the efficiency of the predictive brain are hard at work, encouraging and rewarding a mind oriented towards curiosity over judgment. So let's get into how that happens. So first, I'd like us to be on the same page about what curiosity is. So I'm gonna define it in broad terms and then we'll be more specific throughout the podcast. Um, Curiosity is not a feeling. It is a state of mind, so a cognitive state. It's a reaction our neurology produces when we encounter the novel or the new. Um, It is not the act of being curious that is so powerful but it's rather the actions that are produced by the desire to understand something new or unfamiliar that is very, very powerful. Typically we tend to associate curiosity with innocence or the ignorance of children or animals. Um, So like curiosity killed the cat, curious George or the fantastic incessant why of a young child encountering many new things in the world. Um, adult curiosity is not encouraged typically outside of the academic setting. It's not seen as being something that's socially desirable. People think you're being nosy or you're asking too many questions and you're being overbearing. So like, have you ever pretended to know or understand, a know a word or understand a concept um, so, as not to appear inept in front of your peers or coworkers. Adult curiosity, again, not encouraged here. However, it's necessary for us to survive and thrive in our world. Uh, let's back up a little bit and dig into the neurology of curiosity. So, again, my first podcast talked about metacognition and the predictive brain. Um, in that same vein, there's re- uh, research by Gruber and Ranganath. Again, all of the things I mention in this podcast, so all the books and resources, research articles are going to be found on my website. So feel no pressure to write them all down now. I'll have a list for you. Um, Anyway, Gruber and Ranganath, this research links the source of curiosity with the dopamine cycle in the brain. So the dopamine cycle in the brain takes place in the same region of the brain as decision making, um, the frontal lobe. So this also happens to be the same region of the brain that uses external information to produce accurate predictions about the present and future. The theory is that curiosity is a side effect of the brain's prediction mechanism and occurs when the brain encounters a prediction error. So if the brain predicts that when you turn left, you're going to arrive at your home, but instead you encounter a new and unfamiliar coffee shop where your home should be, you should become instantly curious about why you've encountered the unexpected, right? You wanted your home to be here. This is a coffee shop. Totally different. In this situation, you've experienced a prediction error for whatever reason. Maybe you made a wrong turn. You weren't paying attention, something like that. Doesn't really matter. Your brain anticipated that you would arrive at home and you haven't. That's a prediction error. Again, if you're interested in the finer points of the brain as a predictive machine, listen to my first podcast on metacognition. Um, before we go any further with curiosity, prediction errors, the brain, I do want to say when we talk about what we know about the brain, let's all agree that we're talking about what we know about the brain in this moment. What we thought we knew about the brain 50 years ago has changed in many ways and was quite different from what was believed to be true 100 years before that. So while I'm providing you with what I believe to be true, it is more accurate to say that I am giving you what's available to me. Um, And as far as I can understand and synthesize this information, I'm giving you what best fits into what is presently being discovered about the brain and its function. Um, I say that because it can change in an instant discoveries are all the time. So definitely take what I say and judge it against um what is currently out and prevailing as the facts about the brain. Um right, so moving on. I was recently reading about the dopamine cycle in the book The Molecule of More by Lieberman and Long, um, because of this article. It's a very easy read if you're interested um, or if you're just getting into neurology, neuropsychology. Super interesting. Um, In their book, they explore the dopamine cycle in the brain at length and in simple terms. So Lieberman and Long explain that dopamine fuels the future-oriented desires of the brain. If you do not yet have it, but you want it. Or if it's novel and you desire to know more, the actions that are prompted as a result of the dopamine cycle, effectively, are curiosity. Um, the authors don't te- technically get into curiosity, but um, their book is very profound when you think of how the brain is affected by the, the new and novel and um, basically <laughs> greedily snatching up knowledge. Um, The authors describe the purpose of dopamine this way. It motivates you to pursue, to control, and to possess the world beyond your immediate grasp. It drives you to seek out those things far away, both physical things and things you cannot see, such as knowledge, love, and power. And so with that quote, we've arrived back at the concept of curiosity. So why does this all matter? What difference does it make? Remember when I said that curiosity is a state of mind rather than an emotion? This delineation is important because feelings are typically spontaneous experiences we have when confronted with an internal or external stimulus. A state of mind is something that can also be spontaneously simulated. Obviously, we get randomly curious all the time, but it can also be opted into. So there's more of a voluntary ability here in the state of mind. For example, um, if you happen upon a man dressed as a dragon in a park, you may unbidden and with minimal effort wonder what's going on, but it takes more effort to turn your mind to wonder about the topic of a research paper you're forced to write for a class you're not interested in, but it can be done, and many times it must be done. Um, Research on this aspect of curiosity and curiosity in general is much older and deeper than you would think. So if you're interested, keep digging and you'll find such intriguing information, I promise. Um, now that we're on the same page, however, about what curiosity is and is not, let's talk about why it's worth pursuing. So generally, as a consistent trait, curiosity has been associated with a great life, greater life satisfaction and greater intelligence. I feel like these are fairly obvious, but let's get into it. I've seen curiosity change my life and the lives of those around me in seven very specific ways. These seven ways are supported by research, but they also are, my opinion, things that, that I have seen. So again, dig into the research if you and and what's out there if you want more um, neurology based conclusions, but this is this is from my own brain here. So first, curiosity breeds humility. Um, I think this is a big one. And I think that this is foundational to the rest of the seven. Um, Being curious requires the mental posture of humility. You have to recognize you don't know anything to opt into the posture of or opt into the curiosity state of mind. Um, If you have spent any amount of time with a preteen, a teen, a young teen, you will have heard them say the phrase well, I know that, to an authority figure or um, a parent, whatever. And it's very obvious in that moment that they did not, in fact, know that. That's why they're having this conversation with their parent or authority figure. Um, And so that is sometimes the way that we as adults can approach new and novel things is okay, I need that because what happens in our brain is we connect things pretty quickly and it feels like yeah, sure we need that we could have come to that conclusion on our own um but it stunts our ability to truly be um, humble and pursue to the end of understanding. And I think that that's really important when you're trying to, um, grow intimacy in a relationship, solve a complex problem, bond a team together, um, express vulnerability. I think a lot of things are affected by the fact that it is harder to be humble and curious than than we'd like to admit. Um, number two, curiosity helps suspend judgment. This is so important, y'all. You cannot judge someone and remain genuinely curious curious about them at the same time. If you don't believe me, try it. Try to wonder about why someone is doing something while judging them fiercely for it. If you're a professional in the world of mental health, this is especially important to your success and the success of your clients. It would be an absolute mistake to consider others' actions through our own understanding of the world. I would even go so far as to say that for a clinician, it's not only nonsensical, but it's also unethical. So an example of this comes from early in my uh, counselor education. I became intensely interested in sociolinguistics at this point after... um, after this happened, this basically came, I was in session and I realized that a client and I were talking about something and we were using the same word to describe this thing, but we did not have the same meaning for that word. And so there was a disconnect for a time until we cleared that up. But what I learned is I need to take very little for granted and to remain curious about everything as much as possible, especially in the counseling room, even the words that I feel like are very simple or have very common meanings. That's not always the case. And we can step over and blunder into things when we take those things for granted. So suspend judgment, take a little bit of time. And just be curious in those moments. I think you'll get a lot out of them. And our third benefit, curiosity encourages intentional engagement with others. So you're now opting into curiosity without judgment, I hope. And you will find rather instantaneously, you've created a safer, more understanding space um, within which to understand someone. In this space, both of you can engage more authentically, which leads to all kinds of positive mental benefits. Healing happens in relationship, and you're only going to do good relationship if you're engaging constantly and authentically with another person. So an example I typically give in this situation is the driving example. Imagine you're driving and you're driving along and um, someone in front of you is just driving erratically, just crazy. Um, rather than immediate disdain, derision, and maybe even a lot of road rage, let's try to be curious here. So why are they driving that way? Is something wrong? Are they ill and trying to make it to the doctor? Do they have a child in need in their back seat? This is a big one for me after becoming a mom. I have extra empathy there. Or do they have a disability and they're they're doing their best? If we aren't curious, we um, effectively choose not to care, we take on the role of an authority of all knowledge. We are all, all of a sudden omniscient and we are judging that person for their wrongdoing or for not doing things the way we think they ought to be done. And let me tell you, nothing will cut off engagement and stifle a relationship faster than trying to be both people in the relationship. It's not going to work. So curiosity over judgment here breeds engagement. And that is... Essential. So, without context, the actions of others, even in our same circumstances and culture, can appear very strange. So, just by asking rather than assuming, you've created a connection with another person and fostered care for others within yourself. So, notice I said within yourself, not between each other. And the reason is because caring for others is a thing you do for someone else. This is not something that you are doing between you. You're hoping that there's reciprocity, but if there's not, at the very least, you can be fostering that care within yourself between you and that person. That's very important. And sometimes that's all there is in a relationship, like a parent-child relationship or a marriage that's struggling, but having one person rather than none work hard at fostering that care is is significant and important and can do some great work. Okay, let's move on to number four. Um, curiosity fosters intelligence. This is one that I feel like is kind of obvious, but let's talk about it. If you have questions, you'll get answers. If you're curious, you're humbly seeking out new information and assimil- assimilating that information, the more you ask, the more you will discover. That's that's how it works. So um, research has found that curiosity actually triggers attention, so focus, and memory retention in the brain. So what that means is your brain becomes curious and it starts focusing more effort in the direction of what you're curious about so you can learn about it and retain what you've learned. I think that's excellent. Thank you, brain. Um, Number five, curiosity reduces feelings of being jaded, cynical, or bitter by fostering a sense of awe or wonder and graceful understanding. Um, for anyone over 25, I think that this might hit a little bit differently. By the time you are 25, I think you've experienced a lot, whether in person or virtually, especially now, um, you'll been exposed to the beauty of the world and the utter devastation of the treachery committed by humans. Y'all, it takes a toll just to exist. And it makes discovery a tenuous experience. Like, do I even really want to do it? Do I have the tenacity or what it takes to continue to experience this world? So my questions are, what about our orientation to the world would change if we practiced curiosity in the face of the difficult or mundane in the world? What if we voluntarily sought out the new in the old? So this might sound very trite, and I apologize for that. but. Think about a passion of yours, like a hobby that you enjoy, a TV show that you've seen many times, a movie that you love rewatching with family. Think about the many ways you've engaged with wonder and curiosity in that passion. Think about how long you've kept that interest alive. How can you expand that skill of pursuing the new in a known experience into many parts of your life? So I encourage you to think about how you actually do that in things that you've enjoyed for years and try to apply that to daily life. It might not translate perfectly like to experiencing things on social media, watching the news, reading the paper, or the digital paper, magazines, however, but I can guarantee you if you actually put the effort in there, you'll begin to pull on threads that you did not realize could unravel from just the mundane things the minutia of life. So I encourage it. It does work. Well, it's worked for me. It's worked for others in my life too. Uh, Number six, curiosity encourages the habit of thoughtful problem solving. As you practice curiosity in the different avenues of your life, you'll be more able to be creative and see multiple options when problems present themselves. So you'll have amassed intellectual and relational resources to assist you in this problem solving. Not to mention, you have begun to foster the most powerful curiosity of all, curiosity about yourself, which can entirely change how you approach problems altogether. I think it is very interesting to me to watch people solve issues on TV and movies, um, in books, because they happen upon something new or someone has you know, a memory or an anecdote that they share with the main character. And then all of a sudden, boom, they've been given this clue or insight that triggers their brain to experience this problem from a different angle. And as contrived as that can feel in media when um, we're just watching along and playing along, I don't think life in reality is much different from that. And I think that many times experiencing something new definitely does help us um, come at a problem from a different angle. And the final one, number seven, it, um, curiosity allows you to engage your inner world with patience and a posture of discovery. And you will approach others in the same way if you practice curiosity with yourself over time. This kind of thinking knocks on the door of self-actualization as many psychological theorists have posited. If we're curious about ourselves, we become more aware of ourselves. If we're curious about ourselves, we become more aware of ourselves. This harkens back to my first uh, podcast on thinking about thinking and it's just so important. Um, A lot of times this kind of mindfulness changes the way we experience life because it changes the way we experience ourselves. And I feel like that's just so intense. Like that's a million conversations wrapped up in one sentence. Um, the more we more aware we are of ourselves, the more authentically we can show up and engage with others and allow them to be authentic too. Marissa King, who wrote uh, social chemistry, a book I was reading a few months ago. She quotes London business school professor, Herminia Hermenina. Ibarra. And in her book about the power of curious awareness, she says, the reality is that people learn and change who they are through experience. And so think about that. If you are learning about who you are and changing who you are through experience, it must be at some point you're engaging a very curious disposition towards what you're going through what you're experiencing, what you're thinking about. I think that's extremely powerful. We talk about how we change so often or how we choose not to change. And I think a lot of that has to do with how interested we are in where we are at the moment and how we do things presently. So I'm sure there are more avenues for curiosity to possibly change lives and mental health. If you experience anything that I have not yet talked about, please share. I would love to know. Um, These are just seven ways that I've seen over and over again in my own life, but I know there could be more. Before we move into my final point, if you've enjoyed this episode so far, I encourage you to sign up for my Substack newsletter, for which the link can be found on my website. That's where you'll find more resources on this topic that I'm not able to link or reference here. It's also a great resource if you prefer to read a concise article about new mental health research books and the like all right the present and very real practical effects of curiosity cannot be overstated in my opinion research has found that there are people who are naturally more curious than others and possess trait curiosity is what it's called which means that they consistently choose a curious posture when presented with novel information these people are are, you know novel experiences so um People who have trait curiosity and those who consciously opt into curiosity more often experience greater life satisfaction, better memory, increased focus, more global knowledge bases. But there's one major social dilemma that can be treated with curiosity. So let me tell you a story. My brother and I were um, actually talking about this topic and he proposed a scenario about curiosity. He asked if seeing a skateboarder do a complex trick the observer had never seen before would be establishing curiosity in the mind. The answer is no. Witnessing the novel is using the same dopamine cycle to activate interest, but it's not yet curiosity. It's not yet actioned curiosity. When you see something novel, there's a sliding door moment when you can either choose to be curious and pursue that novel thing to a point of understanding and then assimilate it into your world and allow it to shift your worldview. Or you can say, Whoa, 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 that's different. It doesn't currently fit into how I view the world. And to deal with the discomfort that that causes, I'm going to label this new thing as other and unwelcome. Completely disregarding and simultaneously diminishing the value of that new thing. The later, res- the latter response is a common experience in our world, especially when we're utilizing second-hand stereotypes. So that's stereotypes we've learned from people or seen on the news or learned through some third party that wasn't firsthand experience. Naturally, we do not always welcome the unfamiliar and use tactics like stereotypes gifted to us from third parties to compose a more complete picture of the world so that we're not exhausted constantly by a multitude of questions the world conjures in our minds and the effort required to answer them. That's why our brains try to predict things accurately because it truly is exhausting to encounter newness every single moment of every day and then try to anchor ourselves in a world that feels overwhelmingly new. I propose, however, that when it comes to people, the effort is worth it. I propose that. Everyone is worth being curious about and investing the time, energy, and focus into creating that new neural pathway just for them. Robert Zajonk discovered something called the mere exposure effect in the, uh, I believe, the late 60s, late 1960s. I have to clarify the century now. Marissa King describes the effect succinctly when she writes, merely being exposed to people, objects, and ideas leads us to have more favorable evaluations of them. So when things become familiar, they're more likely to become favorable. I think that's worth repeating. When things become familiar, they're more likely to become favorable. So imagine what would happen if we allowed ourselves to become more familiar with the idiosyncratic delights present in the variation of humanity. It just might change everything. And I'll leave you with this one example Have you ever heard a song that was fine, it was okay, it came on the radio, it was played during a movie, you heard it and it was like, okay, that's fine. But over and over again, you hear this song, it's everywhere. They play it in the grocery store, you hear it on Sirius XM, you cannot get away from it, it's all over social media. And then a month later, maybe even just two weeks later it's so much better to listen to. It's so much easier to get into. And that's what um, the mere exposure effect is talking about, is the more you're exposed to something, the more familiar it gets to you, the more favorable it is. Our brain craves the familiar, even if it's interested and excited and finds pleasure in pursuing the new. As ever, I've done my research, but you should too. Check my sources against your own and always exercise sound judgment. If you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to subscribe because I would be glad to have you back for each new episode. I'm so glad you've joined me today and I would love to hear your thoughts. So reach out to me in the comments via the Remedy House website or find me on Instagram. We'll talk soon.